If you live in the South Metro area and have been looking for top-notch customer service, extensive beer, wine, and spirit selections, and unbeatable prices, look no further than Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You won't find a more varied inventory anywhere else. Don't just take it from me, guys. This is Michael, and he's been shopping at Davidson's since they opened. The thing I like about Davidson's versus the competitors, it has a larger selection. And if I am going to buy Spirit, then Davidson's is usually my first choice as well because just of the size of the selection. I also like the extensive selection of some hard-to-find items. But that's not all. Every department is staffed with highly trained specialists who can help you find exactly what you're looking for. I've always found the folks that you chat with to be knowledgeable. I've chatted with the spirit staff about different bourbons and different vodkas, and I am always chatting with the wine staff about different things and saying, I like this, what else do you have that's similar? Particularly when I go to non-U.S. wines, I find them extremely helpful and helping me find something I'm looking for. What are you waiting for? Head to either of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and follow them on Facebook to stay up to date on their latest specials. And go in the air, deep right center go. field. Two-run home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, watch it go Chuck Nasty. Two-run home run, David Dahl. Drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love tonight. Welcome into the BSN Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations or browse their entire inventory online at mygreensolution.com. Reserve products online and pick up at your local TGS Express checkout. You'll be in and out in minutes. Use code BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase. Now, let's jump into the show. All right, I am your host, Drew Creaseman. I am the managing editor of BSN Rockies. And on today's episode of the podcast, we got to go over a few notes from the 9-4 victory over the New York Mets, the Colorado Rockies' fourth consecutive win after being mathematically eliminated from postseason contention. The brutal ironies abound. Uh, But as I've talked about, whether it was over the series win against the St. Louis Cardinals or in the series sweep of the San Diego Padres, really the best news here is that the players that need to be playing well going into the offseason and then obviously most specifically into next year need to be performing well. A lot of them are. I want to get into a big night from Garrett Hampson, and that's going to lead me into a pet topic that I haven't talked about in a while uh, that I'm going to be doing an article on here very soon And as far as a defensive statistic that I would very much like to see kept that is not. And then we've got to talk about your boy, Antonio Sensatella, uh, putting himself firmly into the Jeff Hoffman category of, all right, man, who are you? What are you? Uh, are your... 
adjustments real? Uh, is it possible that you're turning yourself into a new pitcher? Uh, I'll get into all of the notes on what Sensatella has done and then another really promising outing for the bullpen moving forward. So altogether, another really solid win for the Colorado Rockies over a team that is vying for postseason contention. The Mets were four games out of the wild card spot when the night began, five games out when it concluded. And they're fighting. They're in a, you know, a very similar situation to where uh, the Rockies were a year ago. They're out there fighting in this last stretch. These games mean a lot to them. And I criticized them for maybe thinking that they were closer than I thought they were over the trade deadline. And ultimately, if they fall to seven or eight games out and, and don't make it, I think I'll be a bit justified there. On the other hand, if they go the rest of the season and get really hot and end up playing in a wild card game, I'm going to look very silly. So I suppose in that way, it's another good thing that the Rockies are coming out here and playing some of their best baseball of this season. But let's go to that three-hit day for Garrett Hampson. He's having quite the week. There were some fun little notes that came out of this. Uh, he matched his career high with three hits, but he's done it three times all in the last week he's really coming around i profiled him a few days ago talking about both the mental and physical adjustments that he has made to his game that have helped make him a real weapon out there for the colorado rockies and we're seeing it not only in the batter's box and on the base paths now but he's really starting to settle in in his role playing some outfield defense in center and he's always been very comfortable at second and shortstop and he's shown that off a bit more recently as well so yes it's again sort of like the whole team of a very similar situation here with Hampson where it's frustrating that it's too little too late but this is the version of Hampson that a lot of us thought we were going to see coming into this season the sort of super utility plug-and-play guy who's a nightmare on the base paths uh, who you you know if he's putting contact on the ball he's putting pressure on defenses he's doing all kinds of stuff out there to make things happen if he happens to be on first and you hit the ball in the gap he's going to score you hit the ball down the line especially here he's just going to glide around the bases and score and he brings a, a dynamism to the Colorado Rockies offense that they've lacked over the last several years and so if he can continue to build on this continue to get on base with this hot stretch he's pulled and i know this number isn't great but he had a really bad beginning to the season he's pulled his batting average on the season all the way up to 243 he's not going to draw a lot of walks till he can prove to be a very true nuisance the power is not there where guys are going to work around him so you know that being said that's decent and uh, I think you're going to see more and more and more of, of what you saw last night, which was defenses making mistakes, whether they end up being called errors. There was one on J.D. Davis on the first ball he hit into left field where Hampson ended up taking second. That's the thing I want to get into in a minute. I'll put that on the table, but that was, in my mind, a forced error. Uh, and then, of course, he had the uh, infield single that kept the inning alive and, and scored a run later on where first baseman came up with the ball, was caught a little bit in between, and that slight hesitation between throwing it down to second and going back to the bag cost him because Hampson just books it up the line. So it was really interesting to me. Uh, many of you who follow us uh, at BSN Rockies on Twitter, you saw uh, I, I sent out there how ironic that Garrett Hampson actually had the three of the four least hard hit balls in the game. I'm talking of any of the balls that were put in play that were tracked by exit velocity. There was a pop-up from one of the Mets. I think it was Jeff McNeil had a pop-up at 59 miles an hour. 
And then the next three lowest exit velos were singles off the bat of Garrett Hampson. But that's also part of that was his speed, especially on the, the third one there. The second one was the most lucky one. It was uh, the one that came in the middle of that big six-run rally, so it was also probably the most important one. And that's, to quote Harry Ralston Black, that is indeed baseball. He got jammed a bit on that, floated it out in right field. But as he said after the game, again, I think almost all of you saw this quote that I tweeted out. He said, I like Hampson did. He said, I, I, I like running around the bases. It's a lot more fun than walking back to the dugout. And he was making a joke, but he was also talking about the value of just making sure to get the bat on the ball. And that's what his whole toe tap adjustment has been about. Even when, you know, it's not a good piece of contact. It doesn't necessarily have to be great when you have all of the other tools that Garrett Hampson has. And you're going to get a few more of those over the course of the season. And that's part of the reason why I'll go ahead and get into this now before talking about some of the other players that I would like to see a forced error statistic in the game of baseball, because I do think there's a big difference between misplaying a ball that's right at you, just airmailing a throw to first base, uh, settling under one as an outfielder and just having it bounce off your glove the the real error error where there's no excuse you just made a mistake and a play where if you're at third and a guy hits a rocket down the line and you dive to your right and you come up and you throw and it's low and the first baseman doesn't dig it out and it skips by him so the runner goes to second so they have to charge you an error i think in that case you should get a forced error and that would you know people can do with that information what they want but i think you know in your mind you can kind of say well okay you're giving a little bit of credit you're, you're doing two things with a forced error in my mind you're giving a little bit of credit to the batter and or runner for their speed or maybe it's just that they happen to hit the ball really hard and it was tough to field in the first place how whatever the batter did to force the error right you're giving them credit and you're not giving as much of a demerit to the defensive player as just a normal error where you just messed up. You're, you're giving less of a disincentive to make the great play because sometimes in trying to make the great play, that's how guys are going to commit a lot of errors. And I do think it would be really fascinating to look at leaderboards in both instances. I think we could learn a lot about different kinds of ball players looking at leaderboards for example i think it would be fascinating and i think it's probably the case um, that nolan arenado would have very few unforced errors just straight up mistakes over the course of his career i could be wrong about that but it'd be nice to know wouldn't it and and if 80 percent of the errors in his career were him trying to make a phenomenal play were really in some way forced by a, a D Gordon or a, a Billy Hamilton or somebody coming up the line or, you know, uh, like I said, maybe he made the great dive in the throw, but a first baseman didn't dig it for him and it skipped by things like that. You can make kind of a note that it, it was a really tough play that had the play been converted and it would have been, you know, a, a put a star next to it play, but instead you have to give the guy an error. I think that's worth noting. And I think it would be, interesting to see which defenders have the biggest difference between the number of their errors that are forced and the number of their errors that are just totally 
unforced. But on the other side of it, for a player like Garrett Hampson or the aforementioned, you know, D. Gordon, Billy Hamilton, the guys that do that, I think it would help us get a, a better concept of how to measure speed in the game. It's not totally accurate, and I do think that there are a couple of places where they measure this for infield errors. Uh, I don't think there's anything like for what Hampson did last night where his speed very clearly caused J.D. Davis to look up, take his eye off the baseball, try to hurry a play, and ended up committing the error. I think that was a, a, a very clear instance of something you could have ruled a forced error. And, you know, this is a very much a judgment call, but so are errors to begin with. The official scorer would have to decide the difference between an error and a forced error, but they're kind of doing that anyway. And th there's also been a bit of hedging of the bets now where, you know, if, if the same play I described earlier, rocket down to Nolan, he dives, he stops it, he throws it in the dirt. He, uh, first baseman doesn't come up with it, but it doesn't get by him. They're going to rule that an infield hit, even if the throw would have got him. It would be interesting to see i don't know maybe that is a forced error maybe it's not maybe it's a completely different thing uh, we would definitely need to figure out and determine exactly what this is maybe there's a, a more exact science than forced error versus unforced error but i think the concept i think there's something to this i've brought it up on the podcast before but here's the interesting thing just a few hours ago from me recording this i brought it up with nolan arenado and I'm going to be writing an article about that because that's one of the privileges that I have in my job is when I've got a question about something on defense and whether or not it would be interesting or valuable to know, uh, I can walk over to literally one of the best third basemen, one of the best defenders in the game now or ever and ask him a couple questions. Hey, what do you think of this idea? That's exactly what I did. And I think you're going to be very interested to hear what he had to say. I'll have the article up on the site in the next couple of days. So make sure you're subscribed to bsndenver.com so that you don't miss out on all of that. Uh, it, it was a really fun conversation. I think I'm going to try to catch up with one or two other guys because Nolan was so good and uh, see if there's any kind of consensus. I've run this by some people in the media. They were not especially thrilled, but they're not, they weren't especially stat guys either. And so, you know, they don't need to use it. It's not necessarily going to be for everybody, but I, I, I think it would be a valuable thing for a lot of us to have and, and look at and get a better concept of what really constitutes a phenomenal player. I overheard a story the, the other day about uh, Troy Tulowitzki being frustrated that Jack Wilson, you remember him, a shortstop for a while, I believe with the Mariners for a minute. I remember with the Pirates, uh, very good defender, very solid defender, but that he wouldn't do certain things. He wouldn't make certain, you know, super spectacular plays because it might not, result well and, and he would get dinged in his range or he might make an error and so he would take sort of sharper lines to the ball and I was like that's very interesting and I think this is something that would help us get a, a better understanding of that do an even better job to give a benefit to the players that make the best plays in the game uh, and, and maybe I would be wrong. Maybe we would find all this data and I'd find out, no, actually, Nolan Arenado makes just as many unforced errors as anybody else. But I think that would also be interesting information to know. Either way, I think you come out a winner here. So, yeah, I'm, I'm digging on it. I'm digging on the idea. Uh, I'll let you know how other people feel about it in writing form and then probably in a follow-up on the podcast shortly thereafter. Hey, I hope everyone out there is taking stock of 
the end of the baseball season. I know it's been a frustrating year, but soon there will be no baseball. There's only a handful of days left to take in a ball game, drink yourself a Breckenridge brew, and just, you know, we take it for granted sometimes that we have a baseball team in Denver, Colorado, and that, you know, it's an easy group of guys to root for, by the way. I'm not going to talk about the really horrible news in in Major League Baseball today. It's just not in my arena, and it's a clearly awful thing. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can try to find it. But just it's – we don't have to worry about that here. Uh, or and, or any th- – that like that's just a totally out there crazy awful. But a lot of the other awful stuff that happens. And, you know – Here's one thing I'll say about it that's tangentially related, that I've made this point before. The Rockies never got enough credit for paying Jose Reyes to go away. They never, and, and a lot of people point to Trevor's story and say they, that he made that decision for them. And to some degree, that's a part of it. But they, I don't, I mean, you can dress it up however you want. They paid a guy $22 million to go have a decent season for the Mets and play against them. And they did it for the right reasons, the moral reasons. Um, so, you know, I, it's, you've got a team to, to root for out there. And hopefully not to really cravenly transition here, but I do need to go to commercial break before I'm allowed to do that. I do have to mention that while you're taking in these final games, and there's only a few left, man. Just, just, just take them in. Appreciate the, because soon there won't be any. It'll be a cold, cold winter with no baseball. You can still drink Breckenridge beer, but for only about another week, can you drink Breckenridge brew, watch yourself a baseball game, hang on to the summer by drinking the strawberry sky, or if the summer is not your season. That's my girlfriend. She, she is not a, a hot summer person. She was, I, I'm a summer person. I, I fear the winter at times, so I don't always get excited about the, the season getting colder, and she's all into, yeah, now we can drink the vanilla porter. Now we can drink the oatmeal stout. You know, we can, we can have all the winter beers, and I'm still, like, holding on to the strawberry sky, like, don't leave me. She goes, she goes it was like 90 degrees for three straight months. I go, yeah, baby, it's called the summer. <laughs> That's when the baseball is and the strawberry sky is at its best. Um, I'll still try st- uh, drinking that strawberry sky in the wintertime. I'll let you know how it works or if it <laughs> or if it works. But I'm going to take a quick break here, come back on the other side of it, and talk about another really promising night from a group of Colorado Rockies pitchers. As you guys may or may not know, taking care of your teeth is pretty important. And our friends over at Green Mountain Dental Group are giving away a free Sonicare toothbrush when you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam. That's right. You simply have to take care of your teeth for Green Mountain Dental Group to hand over a free Sonicare. Check them out today online or call 303-988-0711 to schedule your appointment today. What's up, guys? Ryan Konigsberg here, and I got to tell you, about the Blake Street Tavern. It's my favorite sports bar in town, as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there. It's where I watched Super Bowl 48. It's where I watched CU win a Pac-12 basketball championship back in the day. Uh, It's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins best sports bar in Denver 
seemingly every year from Westward, anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, they've got great specials, and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap. You name it, they've got it. And the location is perfect. Just two blocks north of Coors Field, and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. Welcome back into the BSN Rockies podcast presented by The Green Solution. Before I went to break, I promised you I would talk about some quality Colorado Rockies starting pitching, and so I shall. Another good outing for Antonio Sensatella. Certainly not great, and, and honestly, his final line probably looks better than he pitched. He went six innings, which in a way was very impressive. He gave up eight hits, four earned runs, one walk, four strikeouts. The four strikeouts stands out. Antonio Sensatella has not been missing bats. He made some mechanical and delivery adjustments uh, before, uh, I want to say, two, maybe three starts ago. And we're starting to see the results of that. He's been able to go deeper into games. He's been able to get swings and misses when he needs to. He's been able to get the ball on the ground when he needs to. There was an interesting pattern going on early in the game where the Mets were absolutely lining him up. If you look at uh, I had the baseball savant page up, and I'm looking at all the exit velos, Senza was getting crushed very quietly because he was keeping the ball on the ground. But that goes back to something that Bud Black has emphasized over and over again. If you're going to find the bat, keep the ball low, keep it on the ground, give your extraordinary defense a chance to make plays behind you, and that's what he did. There were a couple of times the ball got lifted into the air and it was hit really, really hard, and that's how the Mets were able to get themselves eight hits and four runs against him. But Senza battled. He found the swing and miss stuff when he needed to. He found the double play ball when he needed to. And honestly, with the way the the Rockies exploded for the six runs in the fourth inning, he really did pitch a, a winning ball game at Coors Field by being able to go back out there and get another couple of clean ones at that point. And that was a really impressive way to see. So like I kind of teased at the beginning, he's put himself very firmly into this Jeff Hoffman category, though though I would say he's out in front a little bit. I was doing that tweet the other day in our conversation the other day about the Rockies' core and how young they are and how I don't think they're getting enough credit for that. And here's one of the guys that, I didn't put in the core because he's, he's not there yet. In fact, he's still in that, going back to our previous conversation, who's going to take the next step to be a major leaguer? He's still trying to prove that he's a major leaguer, even though he's a guy with like a decent amount of experience and wins, but he's got three years of major league experience. I know wins aren't the biggest thing, but he did pick up his 10th one the other day. He figures out a way to pitch through some of these Coors Field ball games, and he's still only 24 years old. There are pitchers who are really great that don't figure it out till they're 26, 27 years old. And so I don't think the Rockies can be in the business of just cutting ties with guys like Sensatella or Hoffman or saying, you know, we've seen enough by the time you're 24, 25 years old to reach the conclusion that you're not going to be able to figure out how to deal with this crazy environment. I think Sensatella is another guy who's showing he's willing to make the adjustments that he's battling through, that he's getting more and more of an understanding of the Coors curse and the margin of error and the whole thing and that he may be coming around and even if it's not as a starter he could certainly be valuable to them next season but like with Hoffman we're running out of time here to know how much of it is real so I think you just got to have him back in spring training next year and and see what he can do now this James Pazos character somebody we haven't really talked about much on the podcast and we should and that's on me I, I don't know if you know that it's 
because I'm the one who <laughs> talks on the podcast. Uh, but uh, Pazos is really intriguing me right now. He's pumping in a legitimate 95 miles an hour with some tilt and some sink, and he doesn't always know where it's going to go. But for a lefty, he's got a couple of holds now with the Rockies. He had a clean inning with a couple of punch outs yesterday. I, I, I've been very impressed so far, and I think that the Rockies may have found something here, and, and I'd like to see him get as much work as possible because they need someone to step up and take away the lefty role from Jake McGee, basically. They need someone else to be that guy, and I think that James Pazos has as good a chance as anybody right now. They've got an interesting, interesting candidate here for a young guy who throws that hard from the left side, uh, I, I think he could emerge as a very interesting character in this whole uh, bullpen conversation for the Rockies moving forward. And it, it allows you, like I said before, it's one thing to say they've got to get rid of the, all those veteran contracts, and, and, and they do, or at least two of the three. But you also need someone to step in there. And if you're going to pay those guys to go away, if you can't get anything in a trade, if you legitimately just have to cut them, then... Having a bunch of guys like James Pazos, I still think Philip Deal's going to have some opportunities to show what he can do as a lefty reliever. Ben Bowden down there on the minors is a very interesting candidate, but now all of a sudden the Rockies have some guys, and they're all young guys under team control who are going to be making league minimum, and if they end up being valuable, then it doesn't really matter that much that you're paying somebody $9 million to pitch for somebody else, hopefully in the American League. Um and then another, you know, what can I say about your boys, Estevez and Diaz? It's, it's real. This is the back end. And, in fact, I believe it was Patrick Saunders of the Denver Post asked uh, today in the press game, uh, press, pre-game press conference, press game pre-conference for Bud Black uh, about those guys potentially being in the mix as back end bullpen guys next year. And, and, of course, he said, yes, you know, both of them now have their – ERA is down. Estevez is at 373. Um, Diaz is at 386. I'm working on a piece on Diaz. I think it's going to take me a little longer. I'd like to sit down and chat with him. But uh, he's really, really come around. He has one or two really ugly outings uh, this season that are pulling his numbers down. But other than that, he's been phenomenal. And particularly lately, and I'm, I don't want to jinx him here, but uh, he has not been giving up the home run ball. He has not been getting hit, especially hard he's been finding a lot of swing and miss and a lot of weak contact and that's exactly what you need if you're going to be a back-end guy uh, these are invaluable experience moments and remember Estevez and Diaz are picking up these late innings they like it may not be a huge deal for you the Rockies fan that okay great they want another game that it's not going to help them get into the postseason but the Mets are out here trying to win these ball games the you know the Padres who knows where they're really at but I, I mean I do think there's a professional pride and everyone's out there trying to win but certainly the Cardinals and the Mets are fighting and scratching and clawing especially in those late innings at Coors Field where there's always hope to try to see what they can do and get some damage done against these young guys who haven't regularly pitches. Devez has some experience with this, but Diaz, this is his first full year in Major League Baseball. He's out there picking up the ninth inning and looking like he's been doing it his whole life. That is, Jairo Diaz is getting close to becoming a John Gray level silver lining to this season for the Colorado Rockies. If, if he emerges as a big deal, then again, it's like then, then pay Shaw to go away.
like I was saying with, with Pazos or whoever, then, then, then you've got your setup guy for Scott Oberg in Jairo Diaz, and you've got your fireman in Carlos Estevez. You may have a lefty specialist between Pazos, um, Deal, and Bowden. I think they're going to have a lefty specialist in there, and that means that you've got four quality guys in your bullpen, and you need to go out and find four more. I, th- I think there's probably one more in the organization as a long reliever. I like a battle between Chad Bettis, Chichi Gonzalez, Tim Melville. Maybe Senzatella gets into that battle if the Rockies decide to add in the starting rotation. If not, I think Senzatella battles it out for a fifth rotation spot. And you're feeling way better about that bullpen than you did before. Even if one of those three, let's say it's Wade Davis, has to come back to the Rockies, he's not going to be their closer next season. It's going to be Scott Oberg. And he's not going to be their setup man with Diaz pitching like this until he really proves he can do that kind of thing. So you've got a guy with his resume and his stuff hanging out and who's also trying to earn his next contract hanging out as your fourth or fifth guy in the bullpen that's somebody with a lot to prove a lot to pitch for he's still i don't think wade davis is over the hump i don't think he's done he's i think he's still 32 he'll be 33 next year like he's got a a few more really good years left in him i know it was a terrible season for him but if that's his role all of a sudden you're looking at a decent bullpen there. there there's a lot of good things happening on the diamond right now for the Rockies and the fact that they're playing teams that are in it is giving them a great opportunity to test like they're not out there trying to give up this stuff to Hampson they're not out there just mailing in their bat at bats against Estevez and Diaz and just getting beat by 98 miles an hour because whatever who cares they're trying to get into the National League wild card they care very much but they're just getting beat and right now the Rockies are playing some of their best baseball of the season I know it's frustrating i know it's um oh one last note before i was starting to go in a wrap-up voice there how about that ball that your boy ian desmond hit last night 113.6 miles an hour off the bat that was one of the hardest hit i think uh, i saw a, a tweet from either harding or saunders that said it was like the second or third hardest hit home run uh, by a rocky ever i'm pretty sure the first is carlos gonzalez but that ball was absolutely a frozen rope it was only 54 feet off the ground i i I was unbelievable the ball that he hit last night on a total mistake pitch from steven matz too it was not a good pitch but um yeah there you have it and then nolan arenado picking up another rbi he leads the team by like 30 in that category because he continues to be one of the best players in baseball with runners in scoring position because clutch is real Thank you all for coming to this TED Talk. No, uh, <laughs> all right. I'm going to go ahead and wrap this one up here. A little bit of a shorter one, but got to get back out there for another baseball game because they just keep playing them. So going to go watch Tim Melville versus uh, Marcus Stroman. Should be an interesting an, another test here for Melville. He's trying to show he's not just a flash in the pan. He's not just a guy who took advantage of no scouting report on him, that he can be for real, that he can, you know, as, as much as anybody out out here in baseball in September right now Tim Melville is pitching for a job and for me it's always fun to see I think that brings out the absolute best in people it brings out the best in these athletes Uh, you got to be rooting for the young man out there so let's see what he manages to put together I'll be sure to come back and talk to you about it once he does thank you all for listening in
I hope you're following us on social media at BSN Rockies, at Drew Creaseman, at Patrick D. Lyons. Give us a like, share, and subscribe on Facebook, whatever podcast app you happen to be using. Head over and subscribe to bsndenver.com and go to bsndenvermerch.com if you haven't in a little while you know we've been doing a deal every time the rockies win the Rockies shirts are half off and that's been four times in a row now so there have been a lot of opportunities to get some half priced shirts uh we're starting to get low on some of them so make sure you get out there and get them while you can uh, see if they win this one tonight you'll have another opportunity Thank you for continuing to be absolutely awesome. I promise you that I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman. And until next time, I will see you at the ballpark. What's up, guys? Ryan Konigsberg here, and I got to tell you about the Blake Street Tavern. It's my favorite sports bar in town, as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there. It's where I watched Super Bowl 48. It's where I watched CU win a Pac-12 basketball championship back in the day. Uh, it's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins Best Sports Bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward and anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, they've got great specials, and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap, you name it, they've got it. And the location is perfect, just two blocks north of Coors Field, and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern.